Teach Clay, a podcast for ceramic teachers looking to share ideas and to connect. My name is Julie Newman, and I am your host. Welcome back. My next guest is a ceramics teacher in Singapore. In this episode, he tells us about the path that he and his wife took to become international teachers. We discuss how COVID-19 affected Singapore, his school, and the greater region. He shares with us how he is continuing to teach students about design in this online format with an artist research project. His lesson includes specific instructions about contacting artists to gather ideas and inspiration for their design project. We also discuss a beautiful basket weave project He provides some tips and tricks to help you bring this project back to your classroom. So let's jump into this interview with Jeff Pabotoy. All right, welcome to We Teach Clay. I'm here today with uh, Jeff Pabotoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thanks for having me, Julie. Great, I'm so glad you're here. Um, You bring an interesting perspective because of where you are. Um, you are a ceramics teacher, I know. So if you could give us uh, just a little background on where you actually live in the world. I'm currently teaching in Singapore. I teach at the uh, one of the most prominent schools in the region called Singapore American School. Um, yeah, I've been here. This is my fourth year here in Singapore, actually. What brought you to Singapore? How did you land this job there? And did you have a job prior? Were you teaching prior to moving there? I did. We did. My, my wife and I are teachers. And uh, prior to this, we were in the Middle East. Prior to the Middle East, we were teaching in uh, uh, Fairfax and Arlington County in Virginia. Wow. But what brought us, what brought us abroad was um, uh, we both always loved to travel. Real, as teachers, we really didn't have the money to do so. So we um, heard from a friend that there's a thing called international teaching. We looked into it and um, we put in uh, our applications. And the first thing you know, we're being recruited in this royal family school in the Middle East. So we taught the royal family kids in the Middle East. And then. No way. Yeah, that's how we got our start. I had no idea. That's amazing. (laughs) No, it was was actually quite an incredible experience. we were, were quite fond of the Middle East. Uh, we were, us Americans were a bit nervous, but once we were there, we we were just uh, surprised how beautiful uh, the countries are. Now, where were you actually in the Middle East? Uh, we're in a small island called Bahrain. It's a small island right off the coast of Saudi Arabia. And how many kids were you teaching there? How many students? It was a relatively small school. Uh, it was... Uh, like I said, a royal family school. So we taught uh, 400 kids, K through 12. Oh, wow. Wow. So I taught in a classroom where my, where my biggest numbers were about between 8 to 12. Okay. And you taught art or ceramics or everything? I taught, uh, I taught IB art. So they have the IB program. They, did, they do have the IB program. And here in Singapore, I teach the AP. AP, okay. Do they have an IB program or they only have AP? Uh, yeah, for this school, it's only AP. They pride themselves in very, being very American here. So everything is AP oriented. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. 
I'm so fascinated by this Middle East kind of detour to where you are. It's so interesting kind of to find the, the paths of people. What does your wife teach? She teaches uh, middle school, middle school ILA, ELA, oh, sorry. ELA, okay, great. Mm-hmm. So you guys can are a nice complement and a nice kind of packaged family for teaching. That's exactly what it's called. We're a, a teaching package. If it's a husband and wife, that, that's the term. That's actually the term they use. And so when you guys apply for jobs, it's you only go if you both get uh, you both get hired. And that's correct. And there's also a, 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 a huge plus to that. You know, schools like to. Um, higher couples uh, since, well, one, uh, it saves some money for them. Uh, and um, two, uh, something about couples that makes them feel like they're more committed to, to the institution. International teaching is very transient. They go from school to school. So most international teachers love to travel. So um, they like to hire couples, actually, more than singles. <laughs> I think as a couple, maybe you would have more of a commitment to that school because you came together. That's absolutely right. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was raised, my mom and dad both taught in the same district, my dad at high school, my mom at elementary, and then my husband, I met my husband at a school, and we taught together for 13 years. Recently, I moved schools, but there's this uh, this collective feeling of, of school spirit, of pride, and you share the same students. So there's this this really working collaborative. You're always kind of living and breathing your school. <laughs> That's exactly right. And thank goodness we like what we do because otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, oh, no, but it is. It, yeah, when it's yeah. good, it's good. That's so, That's awesome. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about um, Singapore and um, how the COVID-19 virus has um, the path that it's taken in Singapore and how your school has responded. Well, it's funny. As soon as this whole thing started, we were actually back in the States in December and visiting family and I spent Christmas back back home. And um, um, when we came back, I think it was, Right after New Year's, Singapore, uh, we heard a little bit about COVID-19 through the news. But as soon as we got back, we were so surprised. There were scanners, there were temperature checkers. Uh, this is this late is December? December, early January. Wow. This is early January, and they were already checking, scanning for passengers. And we were wondering what this was all about. Um, Singapore is very vigilant uh, to begin with. But we were surprised to how they reacted. And when we heard news, uh, one of our first few cases here, they were, in the, they, were they only had task force um, in place in terms of isolating. And there was a huge public announcement uh, in terms of how to uh, minimize the contacts, the, all the threat. The uh, the military was deployed in terms of giving out masks. And this is early, early January. Wow. Um, so they were very cautious because not that we're that close to China, which we're about six or so many hours flight from there, but they, they realized how serious the problem could be and they reacted fairly fast. And we were number two in the list in January in terms of infection. We had over a hundred infections. So we were quite high up there and they were worried. So they, put so many things in place so quickly that we eventually dropped off the radar in terms of infection. Wow. 
That's incredible that I'm shocked that the response happened so quickly in early January mm -hmm. where we weren't even responding and, and discussing things until February in America. Um, didn't really get serious until March, really. From, from my perspective, it was really frustrating because we were seeing how this country sort of reacted very early on. And from where we're sitting in Singapore, you watch how the United States was reacting. We watch how Italy was reacting. And we were shocked how complacent, not just the U.S., but a lot of the countries were. I know that um, the numbers went down, but then I know that they have gone back up for you in Singapore. Can you explain kind of how that happened? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so when countries start shutting down their borders, Singapore's have citizens all over the world. Um, we're a small country. Uh, this is a very small country, and a lot of a lot of their students actually study abroad. Uh, take our school, for example, a Singapore American school, but half of our population is actually Singaporean, um, um, foreign, uh, or non-Americans, I should say. The allure is to go to a uh, university in the U.S. So there's a huge population of Singaporean students that are actually in the U.S., U.K., Canada, all over the world. And when right after spring break, before the airspace closed, Singapore opened it up to all its citizens coming back. And of course, a lot of the citizens were infected from the other countries. And that's when our numbers started going up. There has been recent cases, and that was good for a while until our, there's uh, foreign workers dormitories in Singapore as well, which are now getting infected. Um, oh, wow. But it's, it's really impressive how the country is treating the most unfortunate in this country as well. Uh, they're, they're providing food, aid, everyone's getting tested um, in extremely accurate numbers as well. That's incredible. So, uh, yeah, a lot of kudos to this country. Good. That's, that's what you like to hear. And um, countries that are having this uh, fine-tuned response to the virus and to their general public, to the people at every range of so socioeconomic status, everybody needs mm -hmm. to get taken care of in, in this situation. So that's, that's great to hear for you. Absolutely. So when was your spring break? Oh, my God. Uh, Mid-March. Late Mid March, sorry. Late March, mm -hmm. okay. And mm -hmm. so um, since spring break, I think you said that you guys, your school has been shut down since spring break. So you've been Correct. teaching remotely since then? Correct, and, and, and before that we've had, we actually uh, were preparing for a shutdown. The school put in place um, online curriculums, the school put in place the proper training for all teachers to teach in this matter about, three weeks prior to we even went offline and uh, saying like expect that we the government might close schools so we were we felt extremely prepared in terms of um, get, uh, from the government giving us a heads up from our school saying like all right let's get this down let's send kids home for two or three days let's practice and work out all the bugs and uh, yeah as soon as the government shut us uh, shut down um, the schools we were already ready to fly, ready to go. And the great thing about it is that the students only knew, know how to conduct themselves in terms of online learning or distance learning. Uh, proper protocols were in there. I still teach all classes. We have set times. Students 
come in, I take attendance, and it really feels like uh, we never left the classroom. Wow. I mean, obviously, there's huge barriers there. But... Right. I feel like I have a thousand questions right now. <laughs> so <laughs> um, <clears throat> what kind of uh, professional development or training did your school provide during those three weeks as you were prepping for the remote learning? So our entire tech team, oh gosh, they did so much. I, I, I don't even know all the terminology. So I, I think that's, the, I'm afraid to answer that because uh, <laughs> I'm the least techie person that you probably would know. I'm so hands-on. and uh, It's hard for us as artists. Our tech, our tech department was so patient with me. Okay, so I did this. How do I lock kids out? How do I set up a, uh, uh, a separate chat room? I mean, there was a lot of training going on. They gave us alternatives as well um, in terms of like, hey, if you're not comfortable with Zoom, here's the other alternatives. Here are the pros and cons. Um, so we tried two or three platforms before we settled on Zoom. That's great. So you're using currently using Zoom for your instruction? Correct. Mm -hmm. Are you delivering? So you said you actually take attendance. So I take it you're delivering live instruction? Mm -hmm. Every day. Correct. So, yeah, we wanted a little disruption as possible. One good thing about the way we decided to teach online is that we have sister schools. So there's um, international, for example, we we made contact with uh, HKIS, Hong Kong International School, uh, with Taipei, Japan, and uh, we talked to their heads of school because they were the ones that were shut down first before we were. So our admin had talked to them, okay, what are the pros and cons? What would you not do? What would you do? differently if you have to start over. One right. school in particular said, establish a norm. So the way they did it was, okay, a teacher would log in once a week, deliver an instruction for weeks worth, and they found that to be, if they could roll back time, they said they would do it differently. And those kind of conversations from school to school actually helped us out, and they were kind and sharing in terms of they were very kind to share um, what went bad, what went well, what went, what's going great. So we could actually incorporate all the things that were going great and hopefully take out most of the bad. And we modeled our, our sessions um, to, what, to be better than theirs in, in that matter. Learning from them, I should Learning say, not to be them, better than right. theirs. Learning from them. So <clears throat> do you do... Do you offer each period throughout the day? Are you teaching all day live? All day live, uh, five days a week. I am, but they're shortened periods now. Wow. We're also reacting to we're also reacting to um, how students are. So um, at first, we were about we were required to teach about an hour, an hour each class. We were in block classes. It's like you know what we're going to give teachers. Like if you can deliver instructions in about 20, 30, 40 minutes and then pass time. So we were instructed to break up our time in such a way. But yeah, it, it, it literally feels like a regular schedule. We also have advisory classes. We maintain our advisory students. So they check in, we play games online, just like we would in the classroom. Right. And first period will come in, students would come in, and I take attendance and I would deliver my instruction then. Yeah. That's impressive. 
Um, I, I, just as a mom, like I'm trying to teach my three children because they're now learning remotely mm -hmm. at home and my husband and I are both teachers. So um, mm -hmm. we're both delivering live instruction, but much like what you had said in the prior case, you know, we have two live synchronous um, sessions a week. Um, I don't know if I could teach all day, every day, based on all of the other responsibilities that I have. I'm very impressed with your school's response. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I don't take the school for granted at all. I So when you ask what brought me to Singapore, it's exactly this school. So everyone has heard of Singapore American School. And I was very fortunate to be picked <laughs> in yeah. this school. I, I don't think I will ever leave this school. I, uh, um, yeah, they 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 do things very very well. They the admin here have such incredible foresight. Um, I feel my opinion feels valued. Um, I, the staff has a lot of they take staff into consideration for every decisions they make. The students, of course. I mean, I know every school might say that, but it we're very fortunate that we are a, we we don't operate like a county we are this we're the single school where the head of school is is in the school mm -hmm. so all the decisions being made it, we're a smaller ship to steer than a, a statewide system or a uh, county for example um, so it's easier for us to react that way too well, that's a perfect kind of dovetail into let's start talking about your classroom. So can you tell me what classes you teach, how many students you have and what subjects uh, what subjects you're covering? Mm, so this year I'm just teaching um, beginning ceramics, ceramics one and ceramics two. I have now been approved for uh, ceramics three next year. Um, but prior to this, uh, when I was in the States, I taught uh, ceramics one, two, three and ceramics AP as well. So I'm building their program as well. And the great thing about it is that it goes much faster. What took me about 11 years back in the US to build all four levels of ceramic only took me four years to build three levels here. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> it, 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 like I said, the pace here is much faster and um, the funding is also quite good. Uh, when I was in the States, I remember when I taught public school, I used to gather all my materials around the classroom and uh, all right, this is what I have then I would tailor my units to the materials that I have since it's a materials class. Right. Here, they're, they urge me to basically teach the best class I could teach and don't even worry about funding. So it's quite an ideal school in terms of funding. So now our teacher, you know how incredibly <laughs> reliant you are in terms of supplies. So I, I have followed you on uh, your school Instagram account. And so I've been able to look in, basically like look into your classroom. Um, you include pictures of your projects. There's some demonstrations of you teaching and then a lot of pictures of students with their work, which is so great to see the actual maker with their work. But one thing that I'm able to see is your classroom and it, it looks quite large. Mm. Yeah, is that in um, fact the case, or is that the camera playing yeah, tricks on me? It, it, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I mean, it's a big room. It's a big room. Um, I only think about how I. Well, I guess from a photograph, I can't. I have a picture in my head, and the picture in my head is from my mind's eye, or from not from my camera's eye. So, what you see on the camera might be a little bit wide angled of some sort. But it is a big room. I shouldn't say because 
I should say. How many students? Let's do this. How many students do you have in each of these classes? Uh, 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 between 20, uh, 18 and 22. Okay, that's a perfect yeah. size. That's a really nice mm -hmm. size. Yeah, the, the cap is 22. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I come from I come from an independent school, but it's mm -hmm. a large charter school, almost uh, 4,800, 9 through 12. And mm. so my class sizes are 38 to 40. Correct. Yeah, that's what I thought back in, uh, in Virginia. And I'm teaching in the tiniest of classrooms. No, I mean, yeah, I understand. No, no, my, I guess my classroom is pretty big. I just get used to it. You know what I mean? Um, we do have a wheel area in the back. We have a, uh, a kiln room that has four kilns and... Uh, electric or gas? A classroom. Mm -hmm. All electric, and but we have a raku pad as well outside. Great, very cool. Okay, and what kind of um, clay are you using? I'm just uh, well, PB103. It's an Australian clay, so I'm only able to get um, clay from the region. Shipping from the U.S. clay is so expensive. So Walker's clay is. Is it low fire, or high fire? Oh, a high fire. High fire. Okay, great. Yeah, we we do have terracotta as well, but I, I rarely use terracotta. Um, and we have porcelain. Um, we have all the clay bodies, but they're Australian-based uh, clay company. Well, and like you said, your school said build the best program, so you mm -hmm. have that budget to buy the best clays. So good for you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, I love the school. I feel so well supported, celebrated here as a teacher. That's amazing. Um, I, yeah, they don't think for it. I'll just tell you a quick story. Um, there was a time where I said, hey, um, is, it, is it possible to change some of the lights in the display case? Um, and they were like, yeah, sure. And then when they put my work up, it's like, oh, your works are, and this is my first year there. Your work's kind of tall. Do you, do you want a different cabinet? I'm like, um, sure, sure. Oh, well, okay. And then spring break happened. And like, hey, Jeff, come upstairs. We got a surprise for you. They redid the entire front office and to fit the average dimensions of my student work um gallery lit and everything i was so surprised and this wow. happened over spring break and they surprised me with it so it was pretty cool that's amazing and yeah. i mean it's so important for students to be able to display their work uh you know to have mm -hmm. that kind of go full circle so that they can make it appreciate it and then it's displayed uh is absolutely that's absolutely so well, let's kind of revisit our um, remote learning discussion. And so I know you haven't mm -hmm. been doing this for a long time, but have you had, uh, how are you delivering the instruction? First of all, are you, are you using like a Google Classroom or some kind of an online platform? Um, yeah, uh, first of all, um, I've been struggling like most teachers as well, teaching ceramics online. Um, it's not, I'm, uh, I'm very flattered they think I'm this amazing teacher, but <laughs> <laughs> I struggle like the average teacher as well. Um, I use, uh, yes, we, we have uh, Google Classroom, and I, I also use uh, Teacher Dashboard. Um, uh, dashboard, I should say. Um, um, yeah, uh, those are the platforms I use. Okay. And so have you, what what curriculum have you delivered so far? You, you obviously, you have a lot of time that you're spending with the students if you're doing mm -hmm. daily instruction. What have you been doing? My biggest concern, first of all, since I didn't, uh, uh, students were, did not take any clay home, uh, my biggest concern was giving them an assignment that's completely arbitrary or 
non related to whatever they're studying. Obviously, this is not the class they signed up for. I'm well aware of that. So, one of the first things I did was I designed. I taught them about designing their own pieces. One of the units they missed out on was our coil unit, for example. So, before we went online, I taught them how to properly design. I was able to attach a little bit of history, for example, what made a Greek vessel a Greek vessel? Why is it called a Lykaitos? Why is it called uh, Amphora? So I was able to teach. It sometimes felt like an English class where I would give them Greek roots. Okay, what does Oinoke, uh, what is it used for? Um, so I was able to teach design and um, that was the beginning of that part. And right after that, I transitioned into an artist's research. So the students were to one craft a, um, a professional letter eliciting um, information from an artist. So I taught about I taught about what kind of questions should you ask a professional out in the field that's pregnant to you what. So one thing they had to do was make sure that it was something of their interest. So if it's in their interest, the the emails would be more genuine. Um, I know this is a recording, but later on I, I can show you a screen. I'm sorry, a screen share of what one of my students' reports or blogs look like in terms of looking for information. So one, they had to maintain a relationship with the artist that re they reached out um, before they even elicited a response or a conversation. Um, so that's one big unit. So and that took up about a week or two when since students had to present their artist, what they learned and how they might be able to apply to their work if we ever go back to the classroom. So that was actually really, uh, surprisingly, went very well. Some students were like, oh, I can't wait to get back to the classroom so I could uh, integrate what I learned from um, this artist. And another student would say, oh, that was a terrible experience. They didn't want to talk to me. And I would explain that. That in itself was valuable as well. It's like, okay, you got this. Well, why do you think they responded that way? Maybe they're too busy. Maybe they're, they get a lot. So that conversation, even the negative ones, turned out to be very, very positive because of the learning opportunities in those bad things. So let me, you were talking about you had the students write a letter to the artist, and, and a lot mm -hmm. of teachers have done this, but it's more of just like, what would you say if you sent this letter to the artist? But you actually had the letter, the students send the letter to the artist. Correct. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, so I, I taught them basic research skills in terms of because a lot of artists don't publish even their emails and whatnot. Um, so I told them how to contact galleries if they're finding their information in a gallery, um, how to elicit uh, an artist's um, an artist's name or email or contact, for example. And uh, I told them, tell them you're a student because they, because they, 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 yeah. they might be. Yeah, exactly. Um, as soon as they see Singapore, I'm like, okay, crazy rich Asian might want to sell these students. <laughs> wow. And of course, the, yeah. I also told them a little red flags, right? Don't ever, because so, I knew some people might ask, hey, let's talk over this over uh, WhatsApp, for example. And that reveals any, anything that reveals your personal information, gotcha. uh, you must stop the conversation right there. Perfect. Did you have any students that just were ghosted, those artists or the people didn't respond at all to them? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. So each student had to contact uh, three artists that they chose. Oh. I was, hoping, um, I was hoping that one out of three would respond. So of course I would have 
several students that would get three out of three, some students one out of two. And I was expecting a number of students not getting any responses. So the students who didn't get any response would immediately, oh, by the way, let me go back a little bit. So prior to writing the artist, they had to research the artist. What did you, I gave them a form saying like, all right, what, pick your artist. Number two, what do you want to learn from this artist and show me uh, three examples of their pieces? What do you want to elicit from it? Make sure you use vocabulary that you learned in my class to basically give them a tip of how much you know. Um, so the vocabulary, the ceramics vocabulary you use will be, it's a hint like, oh, okay, this kid knows a lot or this kid doesn't know that much. So, so he, he gives them a framed um, answer when they do response. So, and I have them list three types, of, at least three questions that they could ask the artist. So this is prior to making contact. So I would uh, review their questions. Like, why would you ask that question when you can actually infer, ask something deeper? So you can see that, that that design is more conceptual rather than technical. So why don't you ask a conceptual question rather than a technical question? So there was a lot of guidance before the emails even went out. After it went out, and of course the students who got zero responses, they were to take their three questions and will turn it into a research. What I mean by that is like, okay, if your questions was something technical, was it um, um, surface decoration, for example? If you're asking about the artist uh, about their surface decoration, then turn it into a research because you didn't get a response. See where else you can find similar things that way and see if you can answer it yourself. So kids who got zero response didn't walk away, did not walk away empty-handed because they turned it into a research paper. Wow. I, and I feel like this assignment, you know, uh, unfortunately, they don't get to get back in the classroom and utilize all of the learning that they had from this experience and applying that back into clay. But you can really see, see how this assignment went full circle for them, you know, researching the artist and, and allowing the influence to happen through this experience. Mm -hmm. And there were some really awesome artists that took their time, showed pictures, showed videos, and, and uh, I also taught them how to end it, meaning you can end the conversation but leave the door open. And I told them, like, for example, like, okay, thank you so much for your help. Um, I hope one day to be able to employ what you've taught me, and then would it be okay if I send you photos of my work? That kind of door left an opening hopefully down the line when they're out of my classroom can maintain that sort of relationship. That's great. Did you find that the student, were these artists all over the, the world? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fortunately, some of my students, um, a lot of my students uh, are bilingual. Some of them, uh, I, I reached out to this Japanese artist. I know some Japanese so I reached out in that language. I reached out in some Chinese, or they could infer like, oh, okay, I could tell that they wrote in English, so I write in English. So yeah, it, it was pretty much open. That's amazing. I think too, you were saying that you're an international teacher, and I think that your approach may foster this more global appreciation for artists mm -hmm. in the world as well. I'm in a really good place, in especially when you want to teach uh, global citizenship and whatnot. A lot of these kids are third culture kids as well. They might carry, I have American students that have, oh, only go to the US like me one, one summer. So they might, they only identify in the US with 
two or three weeks per year. They're American, but they actually grew up in Asia. Um, so yeah, a lot of third culture kids who are actually culture shocked when they go back to the U.S. I bet they're so used to being in Singapore. Oh my gosh, what is the um, yeah, I guess what is the student body? You know, as far as nationality is concerned, or is it a very international based school as well? It's extremely international. Even the teaching staff here, uh, it's about fifty percent American passport carriers. So the reason why I say American passport ca- uh, carrier instead of Americans is. Uh, their parents might be Americans, but they might have been born here and rarely go to the U.S. Or um, simply because they, if you ask these kids, where are you from? They don't know how to answer because they've <laughs> traveled to Hong Kong. They've traveled, uh, they've been to Japan. They grew up here. They were born there, but they have American passports. So they don't really know which culture to identify. So we have 50, 50% American passport holders. Uh, holders. And the other ones are just a mixed bag of international students, um, Singaporeans, um, um, gosh, a lot of Kiwis, a lot of, there's some Brits in here, um, although there's a British school as well, uh, Australians, uh, Chinese, we have Japanese kids. It, it's, it's definitely international. And our staff also are extremely international, with a preference, of course, of our American teachers since we're American schools. Correct. I, that was, I was going to say, you know, it is the Singapore American school. And so mm-hmm. it, that's kind of underlying, it, it seems, but definitely not the, the rule of thumb for the whole school. So mm-hmm. let's make a shift because I want to make sure that I tap into some of your expertise in actual clay teaching, because that's what brought me to you is Um, I met you through the Facebook group and I've met you um, through Instagram prior to us actually meeting today. Um, And so I've been fascinated by the projects that you're posting, the student work that you're doing. And I've also been interested in some of the projects that I've seen. So, for example, the basket weave uh, project that you do. Um, I actually did it. So you're inspiring teachers across the world. Um, You know, I I bought one of those um, adapters for the front of my pug mill. And I just, I extrude through my pug mill and just kick out. Oh, I thought I had enough coils or enough, you know, pieces for the baskets for my 20 advanced students. And all I did is pug those coils for the entire class. <laughs> I refuse to pug. I like the workout. So I go in about 6 a.m. for the basket project. And I would be extruding until 8 o'clock and then uh, lunch, extrude again. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a but, lot. It's a lot, but it, it, that's why I'm reluctant to, uh, yeah, I just, I think I posted a photo of how many bins I extrude. And it, it, it's a good solid two hours of fiercely extruding for these kids. So when you extrude, um, do you put liner like in between the layers of the coils or do you just stack them up on top of each other and they don't stick? So what I do, here's a little trick to that, is that if you use extremely soft clay, they have a tendency to stick to it together. And uh, when they stick together, when you pull them apart, uh, there's a little bit of a suction into it and it gives it that raised edges. So what I have a tendency to do is uh, slightly cut it in chunks and uh, leave it overnight. So let it dehydrate overnight, put them close together. I, 
I mean, this has something to do with the humidity too. So you got to test this out. So don't take my word for it because every room everywhere different. is different. Yeah. So correct. Uh, in Singapore, it's extremely humid. So <laughs> I, that's very beneficial. So I cut it in perfect size chunks so that when I come in the morning, they will have dehydrated perfectly. That's great for the extruder. They come out non-sticky. So I actually just lay them on top of each other about three inches high. Any higher than that, they start to compress and stick because of the uh, the weight. Right. But those old photo bins, um, the old um, chemical bins, I have tons of those. So I just lay them all out. I would take wool first. Okay. Uh, prior to the project starting, I teach design in terms of like, sorry, I teach patterns mm -hmm. and rhythm. Are you going to have strip and coil, strip, coil, strip, coil? Are you going to ordinate? it? Oh, what sizes are you going to use? So I have them establish a pattern prior because the next day when they get started, it's just focused on laying down their pattern and rhythm. So the trick here is giving the kids as much heads up as possible because I try and get them knock it out in one period because the strips and coils will start to dry and, and they're not as plastic as they need to be. So a lot of prior planning. So as soon as they come in the classroom, all right, go get your strips, your coils, or your different size coils, and just focus on your uh, pattern and rhythm. And then the end of class, they would have finished the weave, and the following two classes, it would have been the rim and details. Right. Uh, that's similar to how I did it too. You had to finish the weave in one class period or else mm -hmm. it was not going, the integrity of the clay wasn't going to make it with bending Correct. and folding. Uh, my students had a lot of issues with um, getting that top um, rim to attach. Mm -hmm. And so it just had to be really, I learned a lot from doing the project the first mm -hmm. time because we had a lot of failures. And I think as teachers, that's, we get these great ideas and then we execute Absolutely. them. And it's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately at the sacrifice, you know, of the students work, but we've all learned from it. So that was my hiccup was getting that top rim to consistently mm -hmm. attach for all students. Gotcha. So the the weaving part required no um, slipping and scoring, obviously, um, simply because it's the weave that keeps it together. And the top rim, I, I call it the finish, uh, the finish that covers up the cut edges of the uh, of the weave, um, must be extremely scored well. So I and to prevent when kids push down on it, I tell them, don't use your finger. Use the meaty part of your thumb below this because it's it's like a cushion and it's big and flat. So that, that's what actually I show them as they dance around the, uh, the rim, compressing the top um, strip down so it compresses. Um, but this is day two now, by the way. This is day two. They don't put the rim um, during, uh, after the weave, because um, the, the, the weave below how would, uh, would have become leather hard mm -hmm. and they can compress without destroying the weave. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's, that's right. what we did. Yeah. I think what happens is, you, you know, you have your students that listen and follow exactly what you do to mm -hmm. the T. 
And then you've got some kids in the middle that kind of like, oh, okay, I can do it. And then you've got the kids that are like, I'm going to find the fastest way to finish this. And those <laughs> kids, um, sometimes, most of the time, the projects can absorb their kind of lack of wanting to follow all of the steps. But this one doesn't. This is one that I'm like, you have to do it this way. You have to be very mm -hmm. aware and cognizant of, of that attachment because the, the tops of those basket weaves are all individual. They're not, you know, right. they might not be touching each other. So every single piece of that basket weave has to individually be attached to the top. And so what I had happened with some students is during the drying, you could tell which ones were and were not attached Correct. because they had some cracking between the basket weave and the rim. So gotcha. it's a great project. They love it. Mm -hmm. It goes over so well that the community, my school community was just in shock and awe over how beautiful they were. So thank you for sharing oh gosh, your work so and inspiring people. <laughs> Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is, is I think you do some installation projects on campus. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit I try about- I do once a year. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. What project do you do or is it different every year? It's different. I try and make it different every year. Simply, um, I'm sure this can, you can relate to this. I, I, I want to continue to remain excited with my subject matter. So the installation is actually for me as well. I don't tell students this. I try to take on something new as a teacher every single year. Sometimes these installation projects makes it into my regular units or replace old units that I feel like might have been a little too archaic for me. Um, so uh, it's a challenge for me. It's at the end of the year, I'm like, okay, great. Everything went well this year. Now what can I do that's slightly different? It's challenging for me. So yes, uh, I try and pick something that I know would not succeed, or I have no way of knowing its success. And that's- That's risky. <laughs> kids are, absolutely, and kids are always surprised. Like, guys, this might not turn out. There were a few times where like, I was, you guys had no idea. I was this close to scrapping this whole project, but I'm glad we followed through. Just look at the results. So. And what a great lesson, especially like reflective, because we always ask our students to reflect on their work. And right. so for you to then honestly and openly reflect about that process and the, um, the hint of failure, but yet how you were able to overcome, that's really cool. Oh. <laughs> Well, it puts me in, it puts me in their shoes too every now and then. It keeps you modest as a teacher. Um, there been there been times where it was like, oh my gosh, this project is so embarrassing. Everybody just throw it in the recycle bin. <laughs> but yeah, by the end of the year, when the kids have acquired the skills you want them to acquire, and it's actually quite easy to give an installation piece because they know the terms, they know the uh, uh, state of clay you're talking about. Uh, okay, I need to carve this. It must be leather hard or I need to do uh, impressions, so I need to bring it back to the soft leather. So there's, it's easier to teach installation, especially when it's on the challenging side at the end of the year when they've acquired certain skills that allows you to be successful or at least increases your chance of success. Definitely. Why don't we talk about that Instagram account? So um, if people want to sure. find you, where can they find you? I mean, I know where, but can you give us <laughs> the places? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, it's Mr. P. Ceramics. Oh, sorry. There's a dot after Mr. Yeah, Mr. Mr. P. Dot Ceramics. P. Ceramics. P. Ceramics. Yep. That's where they can find me. And uh, it always tickles kids. Now they have um, 
a contest who gets more likes. I'm like, oh my gosh, this person liked me from Idaho. This person liked my piece. They mentioned us. So it's, it's a good boost because sometimes the students feel like they're average. They're average kids because they only have themselves to compare to. So when I tell them sometimes, no, 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 what you're doing is great. It's, of course, you're meant to say that, Mr. and you're our teacher. But to hear it from other teachers, to hear it from other students saying things, oh, this looks so wonderful, it's more affirming the, rather than coming from me, their teacher. So that's why I started it, to show their work more of a global stage, because Singapore is such a small island. I don't get to, I don't get to bring them to as many museums as I would have back in uh, the D.C. area, but it's a way for them to show their work. Absolutely. And I think that um, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's almost like that gold star we've talked about on some of our other pod, uh, past podcasts. It's that getting on the Instagram for the students is a gold star. It's that piece of work getting taped up onto the refrigerator. But it's your teacher Absolutely. basically saying to the world, like, look, and validating the artwork that they're making. So st my students also love it as well. It's it's really an exciting thing. That, oh, I made it to Instagram. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. That, that, that's the high highlight too. It is, yeah. it is. Um, so uh, as you said before, I would like to leave the door open on this conversation because I have so many more things to ask you. I would, I would love to have you back and just talk about your Greek vase inspired coil vases that you do with the students. It's, it's amazing the, the consistency that you're getting across all of the students and the sheer size that these students are able to accomplish. So I, I would love to talk in detail with that, maybe in the future. Absolutely. I appreciate your time today. And um, I think that there's a lot that we talked about that teachers will be able to um, grab little snippets and little pieces of inspiration and run with it. So uh, Jeff, thank you so much for meeting with me today. Of course, it was great seeing you, Joy. It was so interesting to get an international perspective on the situation we're all in. If you haven't seen Jeff's Instagram, go check it out right now. You will be so impressed at the consistency and quality of work that he gets out of these high school students. I found a lot of inspiration from the projects that he posts on Instagram. Thank you, Jeff, for being so willing to share your successes for all of us to enjoy. And with that, I bid you farewell, stay healthy, friends, and keep connecting. Mm -hmm.